You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. Well, if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, chapter 21. And those of you who were here last week, um, I said to you, this is the final chapter of the Gospel of John. It's only taken us a year and a half, um, but we have made our way through this Gospel. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've just been incredibly encouraged at various points, uh, just being reminded of the life of Christ and some of the things uh, in particular that he has to say um, pastorally, personally. It's just been a an encouragement to me to go through this gospel. I hope that it has been to you. Uh, I hope that it's been instructive um, in both what it means to believe and then ultimately what it means to call others to believe the gospel. Uh, I hope that it's brought some clarity there to you. Um, but as we get to this final chapter, there are some things that John needs to put a bow on, so to speak, as um, as he's sharing with us what it means to believe upon Christ. And I shared with you last week, there are at least three reasons why this last chapter is here. Because if you're reading through the Gospel of John, you get to chapter 20 and the end of chapter 20, and it's very easy to go, well, man, that sounded like the end of the story. Uh, you could put a nice, the end there and finish up the book. Uh, but then he goes on for one more chapter, and why could that be? And, and I shared with you three reasons. I'll just place them before you this morning on the screen and refer to mainly two of them as they apply to this particular passage this morning. The first reason that I gave you was it was very practical, and, and that is uh, there are some loose ends that John needs to tie up for us regarding the story. And one of those in particular is the life of Peter. The last time that Peter and Jesus saw each other was when Peter was denying Jesus. It's not a good way to end the story if you're a follower of Jesus. And so Jesus has already appeared to the disciples two other times. You'll know that. Uh, he has appeared to them uh, in that upper room, their locked doors. Peter was there both times, but in neither occasion did Jesus address the issue of Peter's denial. He's there with the rest of the disciples and it's just kind of moved on from. So John wants to circle back to that and share with us some things. And by the way, some things that I think are incredibly important for us to understand regarding the mission of God. And that's what we're going to come to this morning. The second reason was structural, shared with that, shared that with you last week. And the third reason, which is the most important reason of all, is missional. What John is doing at the last chapter is he's taking all of these things that he said about your personal faith in Jesus and he's putting it into a missional framework. 
and reminding us that the gospel of John is not just for new believers. It is for mature believers as we consider engaging the world around us with the gospel. And what what John does with this story of Peter is he deals with that loose end of Peter's denial and brings it all the way full circle back to what Peter is going to be called to do in his life. So once we come to know Jesus, we can't go back to business as usual. Once we come to know Jesus, our life is forever different and we have a new mission as Christians. So this is what I shared with you last week. Again, two, three weeks in a row, I want us to hear this same message so that we will get it to our core. And that is this. As a Christian, I have a new mission that through my life, many would believe upon Christ. And again, I want you to, I want to invite you to say that with me. As a Christian, say this with me. As a Christian, I have a new mission that through my life, many would believe upon Christ. That's the mission. So what does it look like? Well, last week we looked at the beginning of that mission being worship. Seeing that as critical, fundamental to our mission in the world. But we see in the life of Peter what it looks like to be called specifically to the mission of God in our lives. So, if you found your place, let me invite you to stand with me as we read together. God's Word. John chapter 21, look with me at verse 15 and following. The Bible says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Lord, we pray this morning that you would remind us of what it really means to follow you. Thank you that you have given Jesus as Savior of the world and you have made a way of salvation for sinners. That all who would believe the gospel and trust in you by faith will be saved. And Jesus, I thank you that today we can celebrate new life in you and our own lives because We're followers of Christ. And if there's one here today who's never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we pray that would be true for them today. That they would trust in You, turning from sin and believing the Gospel and be saved. But Lord, I pray that You would remind us that the Gospel is not just for us, 
but that it is intended to save us in order that we might be used as your people to take the very same gospel to the world. Give us a heart for our community, a heart for the lost so that we might proclaim this message this Christmas. Lord, make us missionaries where we are for the sake of your glory and remind us that that is what it means now to follow you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. And so if you were with us last week, you know that there are here in this moment in the Gospel of John, seven of the disciples gathered together. Won't take the time to name them, but they uh, went back to what they knew in their lives after Jesus had appeared to them. They said, well, we might as well go fishing. And so they did. And we find them out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. And they're in the same kind of a position that they were before when Jesus called them to come and follow him the first time. And they were without fish. Jesus comes and says, cast your nets on the other side. And they haul more fish than they could hardly carry, dragging those nets to shore. They recognize that this must be Jesus. And so Peter, the brash one that he is, puts on his clothes, at least he did that much, puts on his clothes and he throws himself into the sea and he swims to shore to see Jesus. And John tells us that they had breakfast there. Jesus invited them to come and eat with him and they had breakfast there. And when they had finished breakfast, verse, uh, verse 15 tells us that Jesus turns to Peter. What it seems like from the text is that this is a private conversation between Jesus and Peter. Jesus has turned away from the others, or at least he's turned kind of in the same group to Peter to address him specifically. And he has some questions for him. By the way, this is the moment that John 18, the denial of Peter, anticipates to come. And so verse 15, Jesus asks the question, Simon Son of John, do you love me more than these? And Jesus is not interested that he love him the most out of the rest of the disciples. Remember, Peter has made some audacious claims at how much he loves Jesus and how much he's willing to do for Jesus and how passionate he is about Jesus. And so Jesus asks him, do you love me more than these? And Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus issues the command, feed my lambs. The second time, verse 16, by the way, much perhaps like maybe our children who ask us the same question over and over again, maybe expecting a different response. Jesus is asking for a different reason. He says, do you love me? And Simon says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus tells him again, tend my sheep. Not much to be made of the difference in the statement. They are only a parallel command that means the same thing. Verse 17 is the third time the question is asked. And this time Peter's grieved. He is grieved and it says because he knows the Lord knows everything. There's something about this difference. He, he said before, you know that I love you. Now he says you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus gives him the same command, feed my sheep. So a few things to notice here. The first thing to notice is the relationship 
between love for Jesus and mission or obedience to Jesus. There is a union between the two. If the expectation is, Peter, if you do love me, then you should do the mission. Feeding his sheep is the call to the mission for Peter. We'll unpack that more in a minute, but don't miss what it's connected to. Again, it's connected to loving Jesus. If he loves Jesus, it drives him to be a part of the mission. Jesus is stating in clear terms what we already saw last week. Namely, that Christian mission is rooted in Christian worship. We'll never have the mission of God right if we don't get the worship of God right. The very bedrock of the Christian church is the fact that we are worshipers. And then from that comes mission. It was John Piper who wrote that Christian worship is above Christian mission. When we get to heaven one day, Christian mission will cease. There won't be any more missions when we get to heaven or when we get to the New Jerusalem. Why? Because there is a multitude of every tribe, tongue, and nation who worship the Lord. But worship will never cease. I hope that you're not bored worshiping the king because that's what you're going to be doing for a very long time to come. Right? Worship is the very core. As we saw last week, that begins with a right heart through obedience to Christ, fanned into flame ultimately through fellowshipping with Jesus regularly, anchored in a strong faith and resting ultimately in God's grace. And we saw the very necessity of Christian Worship. So that's the first thing to notice. Jesus says, if you love me, then you should feed my sheep. So you've got to get love for Jesus right. But there's a second thing to notice, and we notice it just by reversing the order. Underneath the call to, to mission is the call to worship, but... It should flow out of Christian worship, ultimately, that we engage in the mission. Jesus is building His mission on top of worship such that we can't neglect the mission either. We can't say that it's good enough for us to be worshipers without engaging in the mission of God. Because the reality is, if we fail to engage in the mission of God, then we have ultimately now missed the worship of God. Do you see that? The two are linked. No matter how much we sing and pray and study God's Word. In other words, no matter how much we do in here, if we fail to go out there and call people to believe upon the Christ that we say we love in here, our love for Jesus is ultimately invalid. It's authentic worship when that worship drives us out into the world to proclaim Jesus. It's inauthentic when we fail to proclaim Jesus because we are, after all, not obeying Jesus. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. That's the question to Peter. Do you love me? The same question could be asked of us this morning as we think about Our own personal mission as we follow Jesus in the world. Do you really love Jesus? Leads us to this second truth. Not only 
does Christian mission find its root in Christian worship? Ultimately, genuine Christian worship always leads to faithful Christian mission. Genuine Christian worship always leads to faithful Christian mission. It's a simple question and a simple command. It's not difficult to understand, but it is pointed and it is personal. Imagine if you are Peter and aside from the rest of the disciples, you lock eyes with Jesus and he wraps his arm around his shoulder and he says, hey, Peter, do you really love me? I need you to feed my sheep. And in essence, Jesus has done the very same thing to every single believer that lives. Do you really love me? Then I have a job for you. And I want you to serve me. Now certainly you could look at this story and realize that the question of do you love me and the command to feed my sheep has pastoral implications, right? You can see that, that Peter is going to be a shepherd, an under-shepherd of the flock, and we see that carry out its theme throughout the rest of the New Testament. This call upon Peter's life is a particular call to pastor God's people. There's no question about that. But we can also agree that there is a more general application to this text, namely that whatever God calls you to do as a Christian, whatever God's mission is personally for you on on your life, that you ought to live that out because you love Jesus and you ought to give yourself entirely to it in as much as you're willing to throw yourself into the ocean to come and get to run after Jesus. You should also throw yourself into the world to go after the mission of God that he's given you in the same way, because it is that love for Christ that compels you to plead with all to come and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's the new mission. And through my life, many would believe upon Christ. And it's not one that you're content to just hear when you come to church on Sundays or when you study God's Word in a group. It's not one that you're content to just talk about. It's something that you have to do because the love of Christ compels you. Well, this story, even though it is a specific call on the life of Peter, does give us three very general pictures of what it means to live out this mission. In the world, if we're going to be missionaries that are compelled by worship to go out and make the message of Jesus known, what does that faithful Christian mission look like? For Peter, it was pastoral ministry. And by the way, there may be some of you here this morning, one of you even, that is that is wrestling with a call to pastoral ministry. And can I say to you this morning that whatever Whatever God has said in your heart, you need to obey Jesus and do. You need to respond in obedience if it's pastoral ministry. But there is a big sweeping question that should drive your life every day that drives mission and that drives Peter. And that is, do you love him? Do you love Jesus? So what might that call look like in my life and in your life? Three general pictures. Number one, the call to mission is a call to the ministry of reconciliation. 
The call to mission is a call to the ministry of reconciliation. Three times Jesus asked Peter this question, do you love me? And three times Peter gives the same answer. Yes, Lord, you know that I do. So the question that you should ask as you come to this text is, why, Jesus, are you asking the same question three different times? Right. We really get annoyed when our children do that. Right. We, we use the statement. The, the definition of, of insanity is is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Right. So when our kids ask us the same question, we get annoyed. We want to give them the same answer. Well, that's not Peter's response here. Peter's not annoyed whenever Jesus asked him the third time. What actually happens? Peter grieves. Now, that's strange unless you know the rest of the story of the Gospel of John. And, and it's interesting that Peter's response is different on the third question when he says, Lord, you know everything. So what is it about Jesus knowing everything that leads ultimately to Peter's grief. Well, the three questions, do you love me, are meant to correspond to the three denials in John 18. Three times, Peter is asked, aren't you a follower of Jesus? And in John 18, three times, Peter says, no, that's not me. And even gets annoyed at the last time. So let me just kind of paint the picture for you. Because that doesn't begin in John 18. It begins in John 13. You'll remember that Jesus told Peter, the rest of the disciples, I'm going away. And where I'm going, you can't go with me. And Peter says, good old brash, bold Peter. Peter says, oh, I'm going. (laughs) He says, oh, I'll, I'll die if I have to. But I'm going with you, Jesus. Peter or Jesus reminds Peter that, no, actually, as much as you think you might do for me, you're going to do just the opposite. As hard and fast as you think you're going to run toward me, you're actually going to run away from me. You're going to deny me three times and then the rooster will crow. And that's exactly what happens in John 18. Jesus is placed on trial. Peter lurks in the shadows. He's there in the courtyard. And you remember what is happening there might be a little bit chilly that night because we find Peter warming himself by the fire. And John tells us it happens to be a charcoal fire. And the one who was brave enough to die for Jesus is now enough of a coward to not even confess him at all. And his pride is shattered and he finds himself in the trap of sin. And the crushing guilt of that moment, that moment when you thought you had it all together and everything falls apart, must be unbearable. And all the while, even as you're denying Him, Peter, Jesus is going to die for you so that that sin and all of your sin might be forgiven. So John chapter 20, Peter faces... The risen Christ. He sees him not once, but twice. Both of those times, the event is not spoken of. You can almost think that Peter there has this kind of guilt weighing on him. It's kind of intermingled with the joy of seeing Christ, but he knows, he knows there's still this unresolved issue in my life. 
In John 21, Peter is overjoyed to see Jesus. The same kind of zeal, he throws himself into the ocean and he finds himself there at the side of Jesus eating breakfast and then the hammer drops. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, do you love me more than the others? You can insert like you said you did. Peter says, oh, yeah, yeah. The smell of the charcoal fire that the fish are cooking on begins to remind him. You know, they say that smells are the thing that trigger memories the strongest. And Jesus asks, let me ask you again. And then the third time rolls around and Peter knows exactly what Jesus is saying. That's why he said, Lord, you know everything. You know my heart. You know my failure. You know what I said I would do, and yet I failed in doing that. Jesus, you know everything. And in his grief, he says, but Jesus, I love you. And in this humble brokenness, he realizes his own guilt, this crippling guilt before the Lord. And it's different this time, though, than it was the last time where Jesus rebukes a prideful heart the first time. Jesus comes in picks up a grieving heart this time who realizes their brokenness and realizes their sin against God and who is broken over it. And he says, not correction, but now mission. Now you're ready, Peter, because you see your need for me. And I asked you the question last week, why should Jesus use any of us on his mission? The reality is all of us find ourselves in the same place by nature as Peter. Like none of us are strong enough to say, I'll go to the death for Jesus. None of us are strong enough to stay the course in our faith. We would all, like Paul said, make shipwreck of our faith were it not for the grace of God. And when we realize that, we understand that the gospel is itself the reconciliation of a sinner's heart. In me, that the only reason I am what I am is because of the grace of God, that he has taken what was broken and he has restored it. He has taken what is sinful and he has forgiven it. He has changed my life. He's made me born again so that when he calls me on this mission, my whole life is spent to be a reconciling agent in the world. I call people to come. And to follow Jesus, to turn from sin. Christians tend to have two main wrong reactions when it comes to the mission of God. On the one hand, we think we have so much to offer God and God needs us on this mission. And without us, man, it wouldn't happen. On the other hand, we tend to think, well, God could never use me. You realize what I've done, where I've been, the choices that I've made. The fact is that because we have a ministry of reconciliation whereby we're extending the call of God to come and be reconciled to God through Christ, because of that, it's not about me at all. It's about what God has done in my life. And when God restores me a sinner, what a message and what a testimony I have that God can restore anybody. It's a message of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5 says that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. 
All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. There's the two parts. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Oh, what God can do to change someone's life. Whenever God changes someone's life through Jesus. And so, no matter what your specific call is to whatever area of the mission, all calls are to the ministry of reconciliation. Secondly, the call to mission is a call to the task of disciple making. The call to mission is a call to the task of disciple making. So, how should we understand as Christians what it means to feed my lambs? Kind of a weird thing. If you were at the Christmas parade yesterday, there was actually a live lamb in the Christmas parade, which is pretty cool. Um, and so this little kid was carrying a lamb and feeding it various things. I don't know what, probably a shirt, but anyway, feeding it various things. Is that what God wants us to do? Like ride on trailers and feed sheep? Does God want you to have a farm? Maybe. What does he mean by feed my lambs? Well, specifically, it is a call to the shepherding ministry or the pastoral ministry. And yet God doesn't call everyone to pastoral ministry. Again, if he's calling you to that, you need to obey him. But How does that apply to all believers? Well, we need to ask two questions. One, who are the lambs or the sheep? Who are they? And secondly, what does he mean by feed or tend them? Those two questions will lead us to that answer of how this applies to you. The first question, who are these sheep? Who are these lambs? You need to look to the context. There's one major passage in the Gospel of John that deals with this idea of sheep shepherding lambs, sheepfold You'll remember it from John 10. where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. That's John 10 and verse 11. But then he explains some things. We're trying to answer again, who are these sheep? It says in verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So a couple things. The shepherd is dying for the sheep. He cares for the sheep. And why? It is verse 14, because he is the good shepherd. And Jesus is the one speaking. He's the one who is the good shepherd. He knows them, verse 14. I know my own and my own know me. So these are his people. Verse 15, just as the father knows me and I know the father. And it says that he lays down his life for the sheep again in verse 15. And verse 16 says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. So we can agree that these sheep are the ones Jesus has died for, that He cares for, that He loves. These are His people. And not just the ones that were there at the moment. Jesus says there's other sheep. 
So the sheep are the people of God, universal from the beginning to the end. All of God's people are his sheep. That's who they are. Those that Jesus died for, those who are believers, current believers, future believers, one flock, one shepherd, ultimately, who is Christ. And Jesus is saying to Peter, those are the ones I want you to tend and to feed. All of those who are now believers and who will become believers. Certainly, Peter couldn't do that by himself. He doesn't have eternal life on earth. So that's who they are. What does Jesus want Peter to do? To feed or to tend? There's a lot to that. But let's just jump into how Peter himself understood it. And this is where, if we had time, I would encourage you to hold your place. But for now, 1 Peter chapter 5. Listen to chapter 5 and verse 2. Here's how Peter understood what it meant to feed the flock. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Those people. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Right? So, Peter says, I need to give them faithful, godly oversight. Needs to be eager and willing. And it needs to be by Example. So there's an instruction piece and there's a training piece and a guiding piece. So what does that sound like to you? It's not just guiding the ones that are there, but guiding the ones that would come. It's evangelism and disciple making together as one task. It's the call of every believer ultimately. That's not just the call for pastors. That's the call of God for Christians. In essence, do you love me? Make disciples. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter. Do you love me? Obey the command to make disciples in all the world. So let me ask you. Do you love Jesus? And if so, are you making disciples? Who are the people in your life, around you, that you're sharing Jesus with who do not yet know Him? Who are you sharing the Gospel with? And then further, who are the people that you're sharing the Gospel with that have come to know Jesus who are then coming alongside you and you're going, let me show you how to live and follow Jesus. Because that's what discipleship is. It doesn't happen in a classroom. It doesn't happen behind a textbook, although all the information transfer is important. It happens when we take that and we put it into the daily life. One way you can do that is be a part of a connect group. Another way you can do that is there's a a man or a woman or, or teenagers. There's a friend that you're walking with and showing them how to follow Jesus. I'll never forget after following Jesus Trusting in Jesus as, as Lord and Savior personally, I'll, I'll never forget the boy in our neighborhood. His name was Matthew, uniquely enough. He's the first one I ever led to Jesus. And then he taught me how to ride a bike that summer, and I taught him how to follow Jesus that summer. It's just it's what we did. That's the Christian life. And sadly, we overcomplicate and add so many other layers to it that shouldn't necessarily be there. It's just as simple as you're a Christian, you know Jesus, introduce Jesus to others, and teach them to follow him. 
It's that that simple. It ought to be like like breathing. Say, I don't I don't have anybody. You should pray this morning, God, give me somebody. You should pray this morning, God, open my eyes to see who you've given me in my life. Who should I be teaching and training and how to follow Jesus? Who's that person? Sometimes that happens on purpose. Sometimes that happens by accident. It happened to me by accident this week. And share more details maybe in the future. But there's a, kind of a new guy in my life that's just kind of come in and, and just landed in my lap and, and kind of latched on to me. And this week I got to share Jesus with him and, and, and he's calling me and I'm calling him and checking up on him and seeing how things are going and his walk with Christ. And this is what it looks like to be a Christian. And it's what we should be doing every, every day. Use me, God, to bring other people to believe upon Christ. There's a third general picture here because all, just all mission is disciple making. All mission is reconciliation. All mission is also a call to the joy of sacrifice. Third, the call to mission is a call to the joy of sacrifice. So follow this pattern here in the life of Peter. It's incredibly interesting. The first pattern before his denial was this. Pride. I can do a lot for Jesus. Rebuke. Denial or failure. And then guilt. Right? That's, that's the first process. John 13 he has this moment where he says, I'll do anything for you, Jesus. John 18, he's denying Jesus. And it ends kind of in the bottom of the pit, the bottom of brokenness. But after the denial, here's the pattern. Failure. Conviction. Restoration. And then mission. It's the upside of the slope. Yes, he failed. And yes, that needs to be dealt with. And yes, there is real godly sorrow over sin. But Jesus forgives our sin and restores our life, praise God. And then he allows us, enables us to be a part of his mission and invites us to join him there. Failure, conviction, restoration, and mission. But notice... That not only is this in the reverse of that, it's also in the reverse of Peter's original claim. What did he say in John 13? He said, I'll die for you, Jesus. But he did so in pride. Notice what's required of him in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. More or less... He's saying, you used to do whatever you wanted to do. You were Lord of your life. It wasn't going to end pretty. You basically had full charge to do whatever you wanted to do in this life. Then he says, when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And verse 19, John gives us the commentary. He says, he said this to talk about his death. A death he's going to die to glorify God. And what John is explaining is to his readers who by this time, when the Gospel of John was written, would have known about the crucifixion of Peter. And, and Peter, by the way, 
wanted to be crucified upside down. So it was in no way compared to the death of Jesus as equal. And, and Jesus says, now on this side of the denial, Peter, you are going to die. But now, now it's a price that Peter is willing to pay, not because it shows his ability and not because it earns any standing where he loves more than the rest of the disciples, but because this is just the course he must walk and whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to follow Jesus faithfully, he's willing to do it. It's humble sacrifice. And Peter is willing to pay the price. The same call is on our lives. That doesn't necessarily mean that any one of us will lose our life for Christ specifically. Or that any one of us will ultimately be crucified upside down further. But it does mean that the call to follow Jesus is a call to come and die. It's a call to come and die to ourselves, to our plans, to our comforts, to our preferences, to our possessions, and maybe even to our lives. But as I follow Jesus and I realize what it means for Jesus to love me and I love Him because He first loved me, the reality is... It doesn't matter what the price is because the price could never compare to the treasure I have in Christ. And so because of the, because of Christ, I'm willing to pay whatever price I have to pay for the mission because my life is not mine anymore. My possessions are not mine anymore. My time is not mine anymore. It's not about my kingdom anymore. It's about the kingdom of God and everything I do. My life, my time, my possessions, my career, my family, everything that I do is for the sake of the kingdom. Can I tell you that the biggest thing that stands between the church and the mission of God is self. It is the number one thing that stands between us and completing God's mission. Jesus said in Luke 9 that we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And he says, in essence, the same thing to Peter Peter, you're going to die. So follow me. That's the call. And we know that Peter became one of the greatest leaders in the New Testament church because he believed. That the life and kingdom of Christ was worth more than any life he could ever have here. And he says the same thing to us this morning. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. So do you love Him? Do you love Christ enough to give yourself away to the mission? With every head bowed and every eye closed, It's not as if Jesus were here this morning. Jesus is here this morning. And He's calling you to live out the mission of God in your life. That means you're calling people who are far from God to come and be reconciled to Him. It means that you're teaching them as you walk with them what it means to follow Jesus by 
living it out according to your example and by teaching them the Word. It means that you're calling them to believe the same Gospel that you believed and they're seeing it in reality in your life and you're trusting in God's grace to do it. I don't know what that looks like specifically for you or who those names are. That's where you and the Lord together settle that. And so right now in these moments as we're in the quietness of this hour, perhaps you've already got a name on your heart. Maybe you need to write that name down in this passage in your Bible and ask the Lord, what do I do? How do I share Jesus with this person? God, give me a heart and a brokenness and a passion for them. We know from just researching in our county that one person in Walton County dies every day without Christ. Somebody's going to die tonight and spend forever in hell. Today, you have the opportunity to share Jesus with your neighbor. Will you be faithful? Will you ask God to give you a burden for someone? Maybe the burden this morning is for you. Maybe you're here this morning because someone else has a burden for you to know Christ. And I say to you that Jesus today is waiting and willing to save you if you would trust in His death on the cross as sufficient for your forgiveness that Jesus is able today to take the mess that is your life and forgive your sins and restore you to a right relationship with God. And He is inviting you as a follower of Jesus to be a part of His mission if you would deny yourself today and follow Him. And so in just a few moments when we stand, this altar will be open and we want to invite you to come. Come and trust in Christ and be saved. So in just a few moments, I'm going to pray. And as soon as we stand, you begin to make your way to this altar. Whatever the decision is that God has laid on your heart. Would you stand with me all across the room this morning? Father, we thank you that you are good and that you have made a way of salvation. And we pray this morning that you would give us a heart and a brokenness for the lost around us. God, that we would be willing to go to whatever extent and pay whatever cost in order that they might be saved. Jesus, You've already paid the ultimate cost. Make us faithful to proclaim the message of salvation to the world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This altar is open. You come this morning. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship, connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.